now I realize I could never have seen my career coming because the jobs that I've had didn't exist when I was flipping through books, trying to pick a college major. Welcome back to another episode of the Journey of Pursuit podcast. Today's guest is Melissa Guller, founder of Wit & Wire. She helps creators turn their skills and passions into profitable online businesses. Previously, Melissa was the director of marketing engagement at Teachable, as well as a senior launch manager for Ramit Sadie's eight-figure course launch team. To date, she's taught thousands of students through General Assembly, Skillshare, and her own business, Wit & Wire, and she's on a mission to help more creators to earn money online doing work they love. When I tell you that this episode isn't just for online course creators, but really for every creative out there, I really mean it. We don't just talk about course creation. We talk about an array of things like the importance of not letting your major keep you from pursuing something you really want, the magic of just getting started and how to deal with the different social platforms out there. There really is so much in this episode. I can't wait for you to dive in. So without further ado, please welcome Melissa to the podcast. Hi, Melissa. Welcome to the pod. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So I would love for my listeners to kind of get to know you a little bit. If you could just give us some background. It's been a winding road, something I never could have seen coming, but currently I run my own business called Wit & Wire, where I help creators turn their skills and passions into profitable online businesses. And the way that I earn money as a business owner is through online courses. So to give the, the Sparknotes version, I got into the world of online course creation first by working for a fairly large course creator named Ramit Sethi. He runs, uh, it was a 50 person business at the time. And then after working for him and really seeing what was possible with course creation, I mean, my eyes were really opened. I had never seen anything like that before. I actually started working for Teachable, which is one of the most well-known softwares that people use to create and sell their own online courses. And it's what I use to sell my own as well. So I really enjoyed working there for four years. And I always had this itch to start my own business, to help other people start their own businesses. So I've had, you know, side hustles, contractor gigs alongside my full-time roles for years. And finally, just about a year ago, decided to leave Teachable, a job that I really adored to pursue Wit & Wire full-time. So my entrepreneur journey has, as I think all of us have had, we've had our ups and downs, but I feel really grateful to be able to do work that I really enjoy that helps others that still supports my life and my lifestyle. When you were working with these two companies, did you just feel that that was something that you naturally wanted to progress doing yourself? I had actually had my own business before I worked for Ramit. So I started off my career in corporate event production, totally unrelated to the ed tech and course creation world. And after I was there for a few years, I looked for a career change. And that's when I started working at General Assembly here in New York. They have in-person classes now online, of course, but they help people get modern skills for the workforce, things like web development, UX design, and working there, I actually also started teaching in-person classes. So that was when I started having my own side hustle. I was doing full-time job working for the company, side hustle teaching at night. And it was crazy to me to realize that people would come up to me after class and just ask me, hey, do you offer tutoring services? Hey, do you offer business consulting? And even though I didn't, I went ahead and said, yes, let me get back to you with my rates. And that is how I became a 
business owner just by saying yes to opportunity. And I like to share that story because I think a lot of us assume you have to come up with this perfectly formed business idea and then execute on it. But that's not what happened to me. I just said, yes, I saw what I enjoyed doing. And then over time I took on more contractor gigs. And then at a certain point, when I took the job with Ramit, I made the decision to stop doing as much of my own business on the side to focus on that full-time role, which I think was the right opportunity. And then after a couple of years doing that, a few years being at Teachable, being surrounded by creators, pursuing all kinds of really exciting businesses. That's when I really started to feel like, you know what, it's kind of not now or never, but if I don't take the leap and start my own business, I'll always wonder what could have been. So I did that for two years, both. I was still at Teachable, two years went and wire on the side before I went full-time. Yeah. I think that's really important what you said about taking that leap of faith before you're you have everything figured out just because I feel like that really helps you prepare for the kind of person and, and business owner that you want to become. And I think it's actually a huge advantage to start off on the side because I had financial stability. I had a full-time income coming in. So it meant that when I started Wit and Wire, I wasn't immediately pressed to earn money ASAP. Instead, for the first six months, I was really just putting out blog posts. I was seeing if I could build up a small email list. I was using Pinterest to grow my organic traffic. And I was just kind of testing the waters. And that way I didn't have to feel like I was just saying yes to the first opportunities that came by. I got to be really picky about the clients I worked with, the courses that I launched. And I think that really gave me the confidence to pursue the work that felt the most right to me. And I didn't leave Teachable until there was this tipping point of feeling like I just honestly cannot do both of these things anymore. I was working mornings, lunch break, evenings and weekends, Wit and Wire. And that was the moment where I was like, I have to just take this leap of faith. And when was that? How long ago have you been kind of just solely doing Wit and Wire? Nearly one year, so just under. Oh, wow. So you started pretty much like almost during the pandemic or a little after. I started a, nearly a year before the pandemic is when I started Wit and Wire. And it really was just a blog for the yeah. first six months. And I would put like an asterisk. It was always going to be a business. It's just that I didn't offer anything for sale for the first six months. It was early summer of 2019 that I started Wit and Wire. And here we are recording in March of 2022. And now it's a full-time six-figure business. That's so cool. And when those people came up to you um, asking you for, you know, do you offer any services? How did you kind of figure out what you wanted to, you know, how to do that, how to give them something they were asking for? How did you just figure it out? Honestly, it was just a guess. The first person who ever asked me was somebody who wanted Excel tutoring. When I was teaching in-person classes, they were all about Excel and data analytics and all the nerdy stuff that I love. So I was able to Google you know, kind of hourly tutoring rates. And then I just took a number that felt like it made sense to me and that it would be worth my time to do it for that rate. I think I started off at like maybe $60 an hour. It was an in-person tutoring hour on the General Assembly campus. So after that, I ended up raising it a little bit when a few more people asked, but that wasn't something I kept doing long-term. The one that was really a question mark in my brain was when somebody asked me to do business consulting for their tech startup in New York and to create a series of Excel workbooks for their entire company to use. And so I talked to trusted people in my life. I come from a family of entrepreneurs. So I asked my dad what he thought. And something that I've learned about pricing is that you can always raise it, 
but you should pick a price that would be worth it to you to do the work. And although I did hourly rates for a couple of projects here and there, for the most part, packaging my offerings has been not only more profitable, but I think it's also led to more inquiries. I've actually been pretty transparent. I don't offer podcast services anymore through Wit and Wire, but I used to offer packages at three different tiers. I put the pricing right there on my website and I just kept raising the rates because I kept getting booked out. And I think actually putting the price visibly made more people inquire because we were on the same page. Like, yes, this is a price I'm willing to pay. So I think that that's maybe not the most common advice given, but for me, transparent pricing and packaging and not doing an hourly rate has worked really well. That's so cool that you said that the, that you put everything right there, because I think that's also a really good tactic for even creators that don't have something to sell at the moment, just kind of what they're, what they do, just have it really, really clear on your website, because I think that just allows people to just connect with you on another level. I totally agree. If you don't have any services yet, but you're just curious about offering things, I think one of the best things you could do is put up the absolute simplest website, even a one page website, and just say, here are some of the things that I'm available for hire, describe it a little bit, and then either just put a contact form or I embedded a Calendly calendar so people could just book time on my calendar. But to me, just making it known that you're available is a great first step. Yeah. And my follow-up question to that is, did you study something that was relative to what you're doing now? Or did you kind of follow your heart and figure out that this was something you wanted to do because of the jobs you had had before? I would say 50%, 50-50. I have a music degree. So in some ways, not at all, but in other ways, yes, because it was a music business degree. So it is a bachelor of music, but I took a lot of business classes as well. So I do think that the business classes laid a pretty strong foundation for a lot of what I do. On the other hand, course creation didn't really exist, certainly not as it is today. When I was in college, podcasting like barely existed, certainly again, not how it is today. So I think it's really interesting to see where my career is now, because when I was younger, I worried, I was like, I cannot figure this out. I don't know what I want to be when I grew up, but I assumed at some point it would come together. Now I realize I could never have seen my career coming because the jobs that I've had didn't exist when I was flipping through books, trying to pick a college major. So I think just being open-minded and seeing what opportunities come and worrying less about what the world will even look like in five or 10 years has served me really well. And instead I've just tried to pursue the types of work that I enjoy the most. That is so important for my listeners um, because I feel that a lot of the people that listen to the podcast are creatives that have studied something like a bachelor's in music or have a bachelor's in music or study something like music or the arts or something. And they feel that sometimes it can be, I have to do this because I studied it instead of following what new interests they have or new um, opportunities they have. I am kind of the same. I, I have a music business degree and when I was doing music full-time, I, I still do music and I still love it. But when I got introduced to the world of podcasting, I was like, wow, I love podcasts. And if I would have said, you know, I, I have a music degree, so I can't, or I'm not even going to try, then that we wouldn't be sitting here and having this conversation. So I think it's really important what you said to just follow your heart and also realize that things change and also the world changes. And you should take the opportunities that come to you no matter what you study or what you think you're just good at, you know? Definitely. There's this concept called the sunk cost fallacy that maybe people are familiar with, where if you've invested time or money into something, 
we tend to continue doing it because in our minds, we've already spent potentially like a four year amount of time and money on a college degree. We've invested time in a person, in a relationship, in a job, in a career. And so because we've spent the money, we feel like we have to stay, but that's the, the fallacy because moving forward, the only thing that could happen is you could continue spending time and money on something that you don't like, but that's why it kind of messes with our brains. We feel like we have to stay, but the reality is that that isn't true. And we would serve ourselves better by pursuing something that does feel right moving forward. Totally. And we've talked about this uh, multiple times on the pod where, you know, it also doesn't have to be one or the other. It could also be something that you do simultaneously. Like I am a musician, but I'm also a podcaster and I don't have to choose one or the other. I do them both. And I think that that's also something really important to tell people that are listening to the podcast, because even if it's just an interest that you have, it doesn't mean that you have to let go of everything you've already created or done. It could just be something you add to your life or something that gives you happiness or something that gives you some extra income. It just depends on obviously what you feel, but I think it's really important also what you said about that. I totally agree. I think something I've learned is that for me, I didn't necessarily stay in the music industry for very long. I had one internship at a record label and just kind of knew it wasn't right. But I realized that not everything in my life has to earn money. In fact, now I'm in a pop and rock choir. I pay a very small membership fee. So music is now part of my life just for fun, which I think is super important to have things that just bring you joy. And then I love what you said. I think there are some opportunities that can earn a partial amount of income, but maybe that are not the full-time income. You can have a mix of things that bring you money. I think we all have different skills and interests. And I think it's actually kind of exciting that you could have more than one revenue stream or pursue more than one profitable interest. I know that you also are really good at like running an online business as a solopreneur and not just like giving these, um, I guess, insights to the people that are, you know, uh, using your services, like you yourself are doing that. That's a huge part of, I think, why you've been successful is because you yourself have done it. It's not just like, I'm going to teach you how instead it's like, I have done it and we'll teach you how I did it. So can you talk a little bit about running an online business as a solopreneur and selling online necessarily, maybe just to like a small audience of someone that's maybe just starting out instead? Definitely. And I also want to share, I love what you said about just the fact that I make a good teacher, I think, because I'm in my ideal student's shoes, or maybe I'm a few steps ahead. I think a biggest, a big misconception about course creation is that you have to be like a guru or a big influencer. But I have found from personal experience and helping students that you really just have to have a little bit of knowledge to help others just to be a few steps ahead of them. And in fact, that often makes you more relatable. And it's not about finding an idea that's never been done. That's another big holdup. You see other courses they're big names creating these courses. And you think to yourself, oh gosh, I can't talk about that. They're already doing it. But who you are is unique. People want to hear from you specifically. So I just want to share, I really believe anybody can create a great online course as long as either you've done something for yourself or you've helped others achieve some kind of outcome. But let's talk about being a solopreneur. So I think one of the hardest parts of running your own business, especially when it's small, like I have a couple of contractors I work with, like a, a VA who helps with some of my communications, like my public inbox. Um, but for the most part, it really is just me plus some help. And one of the reasons why I think I've grown is because I say no to a lot of things or I say not yet. So I think a good example is just, if you look at the world of social media, content creation, I mean, there are dozens of options. 
You could start a blog, a podcast, a YouTube channel. You could be on Instagram, TikTok. There are just so many places. And I think we often feel like we have to do them all at once or that it's now or never, but it's really now or later or never. Like there is another option. So what I've tried to do is focus each quarter on maybe like one new thing. Like in we're in Q1 of 2022 at the time of this recording, TikTok is my new thing. I never, ever thought I would be on TikTok because in my personal life, I'm not huge on social media. In fact, I don't use it at all, but I just couldn't deny the fact that a lot of creators were finding a lot of success building audiences over there. And I've been pleasantly surprised by the real connections that I've made with people on TikTok, how quickly I've grown and how much money I have already earned in only two months on the platform. I'm honestly like shocked by it, but that's like a new thing that I'm trying. And at the end of the quarter, I've already decided I'll continue, but other quarters I've decided to stop the new project. So I think every decision feels very permanent as a business owner. It feels like we have to try everything. We have to do it all now. We have to be everywhere. But I think choosing what to do now, saving other ideas for later, I literally keep an ongoing list. And then on a monthly basis, I kind of look at it to see what I want to do. But just saying no to stuff has made a huge difference or saying not yet to other things and then picking them up later when the timing feels right. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that also has um, a really big effect on time management, deciding no, you know, that person isn't a great fit for my show or no, um, you know, I don't want to spend time trying to figure out a new platform. I think that helps a lot with getting focused on what you're creating or who you're trying to reach. That can be really helpful in getting more results or just also a little more confident too, if you're just starting out, because if you're kind of everywhere, I feel that that could be very daunting and very kind of like messes you up almost like in the sense of it gets you kind of scared. Like you're like, why is this working instead of just focusing on one thing? I totally agree. Even though we're talking about like experimentation in my business, I'm also a huge believer in being on like maybe like one social media channel, maybe two, if you're really trying to push it, I think quality over quantity matters and being really engaged and embracing a platform fully is always going to be better than trying to spread yourself too thin to just, to just put content everywhere. So I think there's this fear, oh, if I'm not everywhere, I'm losing people. But I think if you spread yourself too thin on all the platforms, that's going to lose even more people. I think the best way that you can really connect with people and to build an audience that knows, likes, and trusts you, they engage with your brand, they feel connected to you. I think the best way to do that is to be very present. And even today, I do a lot of things that don't scale. Like on TikTok, I don't know how long this will last. I reply to every single comment on every single video. And sometimes it takes me like an hour every day. It takes me a lot of time to get through them. But I think it's little things like that that make a big difference, especially when you're getting started in a new place. Same thing with YouTube. That was my previous quarters experiment. Um, But I just think it is far better. Like you said, just choose maybe like one social channel and one way that you're driving traffic to your world. For sure. I definitely think focus comes a long way. That's kind of what happened when I started the podcast. It was like, I just focused on my friends at first friends that I knew that were creatives, entrepreneurs had succeeded in their own ways, which I have a very, for me, I think success has a very big, broad definition. Like I think success looks different for everyone. And I 
always wanted to highlight, like the whole point of the show is to highlight these friends of mine and young creative entrepreneurs of how they've been able to do what they love at a young age. And like, why not you? You know, like that was always the question I asked, like, why not? Why couldn't you do that? And so I love what you said about focusing, because I think that that's kind of what I did too with the, with the podcast. I focused on just my friends at first and was like, hey, I think you have a great story. I know your story. You're a super great creative and also a great entrepreneur. Even if you don't even identify as that you are, I would love to have you on the show. Let's talk about it. And that's when I realized that so many of my friends had other friends that were like them and then other friends that were like them. And then I just was like, okay, this is a great show for young creative entrepreneurs to just talk about their journeys. And so I love what you said about the focus. I think that's very important. That's so fun too, that there's this natural like connection. I think that happens with podcasting specifically, I would say of all the content types that you could create. And I wonder if you can relate to this podcasting has brought the most real connections with other people into my life from some listeners for sure, but definitely the guests who I've connected with and then being a guest on other podcasts. I think there are rare, it's rare today to find those authentic moments of connecting with other people and podcast interviews. I just feel so fortunate to have been interviewed and to interview all the people I've gotten to meet. And I'm still in touch with a lot of them today. So I think that's one of the rare and really fun, like authentic things about podcasting. Yeah. And the fact that it's, it's a very unfiltered conversation, right? Like I think our apps, like the the social media apps we're used to are very highlight driven in the sense of like, this is, you know, the person can tweak every single thing about the photo, every single thing about the video before it's posted. And what I love about podcasting is that it's really a conversation. And, and in order for you to really indulge in the conversation, you have to listen to it from start to finish and get to know the person. And the person's able to open up about their services or their, or what they do. And it's a great way for listeners to get to know someone new. And I think that that's something that's so beautiful about podcasting. I agree. I've found that in my business, podcasting has been the way that I've deepened relationships with people who know about me. It's funny to think about as well, but people have told me that they take me, you know, on walks with them or I'm out and about. Podcasting is one of the few ways you can consume content while you do something else. You can't read while you're cooking. You can't watch a video while you're multitasking. You can listen to it, but having it be audio only, I think really sets it apart. I think having a podcast can still help because it can mean you connect with other hosts. If you want to partner with other podcasters, that can be a way to grow, but podcasting isn't as algorithm driven as let's say a search engine like YouTube. So YouTube people go there, they solve their problems, they find videos, but I don't think YouTube is better. I think the downside of YouTube is that often I go to YouTube, search for my thing, watch the video and leave and never come back. So I think, although maybe you're getting more views and yes, subscribers, and yes, still building an audience over there. I think the depth of connection that you build with people and the conversion, frankly, into buyers that I get from podcasting is very strong. It's a very weird thing. You kind of have to like pick your battles. Like, what do you want? What do you prefer? I think that's why, you know, depending on what you like, what depends, it depends on what platform you would indulge in. I think the takeaway I just want people to know is that different content types do serve very different purposes for business owners. And I don't think it's about trying to do all of them. I think it's about deciding what are your goals as a business owner? And also frankly, which medium feels the best to you? I think your preferences matter a ton. Blog writing versus podcasting versus creating YouTube videos. They all feel very, very different to me. So I've experimented with all three of them. And I think 
they all have their pros and cons, but I think your preferences matter a lot as a business owner. What would be your number one advice to someone that wants to kind of take a similar path to the one that you've taken, where it's either that they decide to kind of change the path of what they studied and then start something new or go into helping a corporate business and learning with them and then doing their own thing? What's the best piece of advice you could give to someone? I think there are two routes you could take. One is what we talked about earlier, the strategy of putting up a very, very minimal one-page website to say, here's what I'm available for. And then to start telling people about it to see if you can book early clients to see not only do you book people, do they pay for what you're interested in offering, but also do you enjoy delivering on that service? I think you're testing the waters in a couple of ways, but the other route, let's say you have an interest and you believe you could serve other people by sharing more about that topic online. I think what I would do is choose one place where you can test the waters about building some kind of audience. The goal is not to like be an influencer, to go viral, any of those things, but probably now because we're in 2022, what I see in the creator economy currently is that TikTok is the app that is soon most experts believe going to be the third most popular app in the world. And the growth that you can have because it's newer is faster than other apps. So if I were starting from scratch, I would probably get on TikTok to see, can I get any traction here? When I start to put out videos about this topic, are they getting picked up? Are people asking me questions? What kinds of questions are they asking? And my sole goal would be to get people on an email list. I wouldn't focus on too much else other than that. I would have like one freebie opt-in that I thought was the most valuable thing. Maybe the thing I start to get the most questions about, but most of my sales have come through email in my business. People are usually more willing to be sold to via email than they are while they're scrolling through their favorite puppy videos of the day. So I think that that would be my, my best advice. Pick one place where you want to put out content test the water, see what people reply to and see if you can start building up an email list. What would you say? What would you say to someone that maybe is like struggling or has some self-doubt as to whether they can or can't do an online course or um, take this leap of faith? Like we had talked about before. When you're a beginner, one of the hardest parts is that there's what Ira Glass calls the gap. There's a gap between what you see and what you like, because you have great taste we all consume really high quality content. So when you try to create content, there's this discomfort, there's this gap between what you know good looks like and what you're capable of creating. And it's not because you would never be a good YouTuber. It's not because you would never be a good course creator. It's just because you're new. And so instead of seeing those first few things that you create as, oh, I'm inherently bad at this, it could never get better. I try to always just see them as a learning curve. And I think the best advice, even when I was the host of Teachables podcast, I would always ask, you know, what's your best advice for beginners? And they would always say, just get started. But I think it's a little more nuanced. I think it's about starting and knowing the only way for you to improve as a creator or as a business owner is to do it. Like you will not be able to teach yourself how to be great. You have to take action in order to figure out how to build up your muscle to be a great business owner and to figure it out along the way through action. So I know it's really intimidating. I hated putting myself out there on video, on the internet. That was the least comfortable thing that I could have imagined. There's a reason I started off with podcasting, right? No faces, introvert Melissa can hide behind her microphone. But I think that with video, I mean, first of all, it's been amazing how well people connect with you when they can see your face. But what I liked about TikTok is that it felt very informal. 
it felt super casual. Like if one video doesn't do well, it doesn't matter. So I think that's another reason I liked the platform, but yeah, I would just say, talk about something you're very comfortable with, but put yourself out there and then just trust that it gets better by doing. I couldn't agree more because that's exactly how I even started this show. I had no idea how to edit or record. I had never done anything like this. I had never interviewed someone. I was just kind of like, I know I really want to do this and I feel like I would be really good at it. And I just decided to go for it and learn as I went. And I even said it on my first episode. I'm like, I have never done this before. I am learning with you. And even the title of my show is, you know, the journey of pursuit. And it's so it just, it's so that it's like the journey of pursuing what you love, but just doing it, like doing it scared, doing it messy, just learning as you go redirecting, because I think that that's something that's really important is like failure doesn't exist. And it's just a way for you to know that you got to take another path. You got to just change course or do something different to get a, a different result. So I love what you said. Thank you so much for that your time. Please let us know where they could find you if they want to work with you. So if you are interested in course creation, because it is the number one question I'm always asked, what tools do I use? I do have a free download called the online course creation toolkit. And you can grab that in the show notes to this episode or at wittenwire.com slash course toolkit. And if you want to follow along for more course creation tips, online business tips, and just kind of like behind the scenes into what it's like me running my world as a solopreneur, I am on TikTok at wittenwire or YouTube and my own podcast, the wittenwire podcast are usually the best place to reach me. And I offer a online courses for business owners. I don't do as much one-on-one anymore, but I really enjoy working with business owners. It's been, I've just been so grateful to everybody in the community. I feel very lucky. Thank you so much for your time, Melissa. Thanks for having me. I told you there was a lot of information that was useful for all creatives in this episode. Here are the takeaways from Melissa's episode. Number one, if you never take the leap, you'll always wonder what could have been. Number two, Try to pursue the types of works that you enjoy the most. Number three, the sunk cost fallacy. If we've invested time or money into something, we tend to continue doing it just because in our minds, we've already spent an amount of money and time on it. Number four, not everything you do or are interested in has to earn you money. Number five, people want to hear from you specifically, no matter how big or small your audience is. Number six, choose what to do now and save ideas for what to do later. You can always say, not yet. Number seven, if you spread yourself thin on too many platforms, that can lose more people than just being on one. Number eight, different content types serve different purposes. Decide which feels the best to you. Number nine, don't look at the first things you create as bad. Try to see them as a learning curve. And number 10, the best advice for beginners is just get started. The only way to improve is to do it. Thank you so much for being here, guys. As always, if you feel that you learned something through this episode, please share it with a friend that you think could benefit from it too. I would love to continue connecting with you guys and have this be something that we look forward to every single week, learning from different creatives and learning from our different journeys. It's something that has truly been something I enjoy creating and I look forward to every single week. So let's continue it. I have mentioned this on the show before, but I do have a newsletter where I do a recap of all the episodes and all the different things I've created throughout the month. So if you want to be a part of that, please check the show notes below and sign up to the newsletter. If you know someone that would be a great fit for the show, or if you yourself want to be on the show, please send me a DM at Drea Lopez without the Ian Lopez or at the Journey of Pursuit. I'll see you guys here next week. Ciao!